0: From the capital of the Commonwealth. This is the Sports Huddle with Bob Black on 1061 ESPN. We're also streaming live at espnrichmond.com and on the iHeartRadio app. Call in and talk with Bob anytime at 327 0888. Now, here's Bob Black with the Sports Huddle on 1061 ESPN. 2 2 from Bednar. Swung on to the ground, ball fair yes. down the left field line. Braves are going to take the lead. It kicks off the sidewall and ricochets away from Reynolds. Two-run score. It's a two-RBI double by Orlando Arcia. And that first-base dugout is on fire right now.
1: Isn't that just great? I mean, that's Ben Ingram on the Braves Radio Network and heard right here on 106.1. ESPN last night. Here's a team that was 70 and 40 playing a team that was 51 and 61 and they're winning the division by like 100 games and they sound as excited and they're describing the excitement in the Braves dugout as if that game would clinch the pennant for the Atlanta Braves. That so that was so good. Robert
2: enjoyed it. <laughs>
1: That's why he gave it to us, and we said we better use it if the boss wants us to. So, so we used it. But it, I, you know, kudos to them for that. That they're they're still very much in every game, right? And that that wasn't even a game against a, a really good team. You know, the Pirates got off to that great start, but they've they've fallen fallen back at, at this point. And yet, I'm I'm impressed by that. I think you know, you you get caught up in the moment, even in 162 games, you get caught up in the moment of one game and they rallied to win that game. They wanted eight to six on the road and they just continue to roll. Like I said, that was one of the really good games um, from, from last night. And I wanted to bring up one thing with the Braves that I saw yesterday that I thought was really interesting, but I want to get to their stats here. You know, you would think if I knew what I was doing, I would have done this during the, uh, during the break. Uh, Here it is. Um, I wonder if this becomes a concern, and I wonder if Brian Snicker does anything about it or if he lets it go. There are only like 50 games left, right? And the Braves have five players, one, two, three, no, four players. I'm sorry, four players who have played every game this season. No load management, AJ, for these guys. This is a lesson, this is an example for all those NBA guys who need to take games off. Um, But I I do wonder, so it's Acuna, Riley, Albies, and Olsen have all played 111 games, have started and played 111 games. All of them have 420 or more at-bats. And just because I'm a baseball geek, if you add in their walks, and they're hit by pitches and sacrifice flies, I guess, you would get their plate appearances, and I would I would say that all of them are at or above 500 when you put all of that in there. So a lot bats. of
2: contact in that sport, baseball, huh, Bob?
1: What's that got to do with anything?
2: Uh, you know, you're just talking, oh, bragging, about,
1: bragging about players playing wow. every game. There's uh-huh. a lot of
2: contact,
1: though. <laughs> yeah, the who catch- plays 162 games? That's it, one sport. That's it. But I do wonder, uh, two things, like at some point when they really do officially clinch this thing, I got to believe they're sitting those guys. And I just wondered if they'd do it even before that. Now, look, a couple of them, three of them, I think, were All-Stars. Yeah, at least three. Maybe all four were All-Stars, actually. So they they lost a little bit of their All-Star break there because they were playing in Seattle in the All-Star game. Um, So it's a grind. It's absolutely a grind. But it certainly hasn't affected those four guys I can tell you that, but it is. Int- I do wonder, you know, when Brian Snicker starts to give them days off, if he really does wait until they clinch this thing and then give them the time off, or you know, I just wonder. I, I'm going to speak out both sides of my mouth here a little bit. If he would have done a little load management with these guys and picked the spot every once in a while during the season to have sat them out, I'm sure all four of them don't want to sit. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, and I also wonder if maybe somewhere in their contracts they get extra coin, extra dollars for playing a certain number of games, and maybe even if they play all 162, they get something else. I don't think that's going to happen, I, and I don't think anybody could argue with Brian Snicker or the Braves if they sit these guys a little bit, but I think it's really impressive. I don't think there's another team in Major League Baseball. I, I haven't looked it up. I'm sure that it has four guys that have played every game at this point in the season and like i said it, it's not impacting any of them i mean acuna's hitting 339 he's swiped 53 bases he's having an mvp year so's matt Olson. you know he's hit 39 homers he's already got 100 runs batted in you know and, and albies and riley have had all-star seasons as well but they have played all 111 games and i just wonder at what point is there some diminishing return to that for atlanta and do they sit for a, a couple of days even before they clinch this thing. I think it's pretty easy to tell them they're sitting once they officially clinch it, and that's going to happen by mid-September, the way things are going for them right now. But I think that's an amazing stat. It's all part of an amazing year for them, but the only way it's going to finish the way they want it to is if they win win the whole thing. Um, And they're off to a good start with the National League East, and they'll get an opportunity to sit for a couple of days while the wild card games go on. Uh, They're going to be okay, but I just thought that was – Uh, An amazing stat that all four of them have played every game. The other amazing game from last night uh, I thought was the Astros-Orioles game. And this is why you go to the ballpark every night, because it's so unpredictable. The Orioles look like they were cruising to this thing, and it was a big game. As Steve Molesky told somebody, there's a buzz in Baltimore about the Orioles again, and I've said it. Baseball's better when Baltimore's good, and Cincinnati's good, and Chicago, the Cubs are good, and they all are this year, and it looked like the O's were rolling, and they had a 6-2 lead in that game getting into the late innings, and they eventually got to the bullpen, and they eventually got to Felix Bautista, and maybe we jinxed him on Monday when I talked to Steve about maybe – being a Cy Young Award candidate. And his numbers are just microscopic. His ERA, phenomenal what he has done. And he had Kyle Tucker 0-2 in the count in the ninth inning, leading by three runs. And Kyle Tucker took him deep for a grand slam, which what an amazing at-bat he had there. And it gave the Orioles, um, you know, they, they, what do we say, they grabbed defeat out of the jaws of victory. And it doesn't happen very often, especially with that guy on the mound. He's got thirty plus saves and his ERA was under one. So that was you know, that was the, the Astros serving notice that hey, they're not going anywhere. They're the defending champs, and you gotta go through Houston uh to win the championship. I mean, the pitch that Tucker hit, and I'm not big on analytics and all these miles per hour stuff, but that one hit me. I mean, that was a hundred mile an hour fastball that Tucker hit. And he hit it 100 and whatever, six miles an hour, which doesn't matter the speed of it. If it's going over the fence, nobody can catch it anyway. That's an impressive at bat. Um, so that was, a, that was a cool game. And I mean, the Orioles' young up-and-coming stars were stars last night. Mountcastle and Rutchman hit home runs off of Framber Valdez, one of the p- best pitchers in the American League. That, that was a terrific game. And they had – here's the only problem with that game last night. And I just saw it. And I, we're going to move because i got a guest coming here. They only had 25,000. Last night. Come on, Baltimore. You can do better than that. I don't care that it was a Tuesday night. That's like only half full at Camden Yards. Some of them got fired, you know, or suspended. <laughs> you know, I'm glad you said that. There were some signs there last night, like free Kevin Brown signs at, at the game last night. But they needed a bigger crowd than that. Baltimore, you got to do better than that. You got a first-place team playing the defending World Series champs. And you had less than twenty-five thousand at Camden Yards last night. You're making me, you're making me look bad, sound bad by saying baseball's better when Baltimore's good. If that's the case, if there really was a buzz, that would have been ninety-four percent of capacity, if not a sellout. And I'll brag on my team and my city and my guys. They're filling up uh, Citizens Bank Park. Doubleheader yet yesterday against the Nationals. They filled it up. So that, they need better crowds there, Baltimore, than they had last night. That, that to me, is unacceptable. All right, five ten on the Sports Huddle. Here we go for the 5 o'clock hour on 106.1 ESPN.
0: These are this afternoon's top sports stories.
3: I'm sure you'll be fascinated by
0: all the
1: uh, stories you have to tell. This
0: is today's Drive Home Headlines
1: guess I'm not getting that job with the Orioles now, am I? (laughs) Ha, I wasn't in the first place. Drive Home Headlines brought to you by James River Air. If you're not confident in your heating and cooling provider, switch to James River Air. You can save up to 30%. Check them out online at jamesriverair.com. We'll talk some conference realignment, West Coast perspective. Jerry Brewer, who has covered the Pac-12, has lived out in Seattle, is going to give us his perspective on the demise of one of the great college conferences of all time and what it means for the four remaining schools and what it means for college athletics in general jerry brewer from the washington post joins us right after the break and then we'll open those phone lines up if you'd like and the text line 804-327-0888 jerry brewer from the washington post joins us next on the sports Auto
0: Spiders are fresh off their first playoff berth since
1: 2016 and hungry for more.
0: Follow every first down, pick six, and blocked punt. Here on the exclusive home for the Richmond Spiders. 106.1 ESPN Richmond.
1: Welcome back bob black back with you sports huddle about 17 after five here in the capital city in the rva thank you for joining us this afternoon 1061 espn Sunsplash day here in richmond all right let's talk a little more conference realignment we haven't touched on it a whole lot today we have been zeroed in on some other topics but it has been a major topic of conversation obviously here in the last week or so i want to get a different perspective actually in this segment as i mentioned to you all when we were talking about jerry brewer joining us today from the washington post and he's with us now to talk a little bit about the pac-12 conference realignment and where college football specifically and college athletics generally might be headed uh, jerry welcome back to our program thank you for joining us hope you're doing well Hang on now, we're going to get Jerry back on the air. Um, we kind of lost him there, a little glitch in the system. And um, as I said, we will get a Pac-12 perspective here. We have that East Coast bias, I think, a lot, particularly when it comes to a conference like the Pac-12 that you know we don't see a lot until it comes time for postseason and the Rose Bowl and all that kind of stuff. Uh, not only from a football perspective, but from all of their sports perspective, and just how successful they have been um, over the years. Right, I think Jerry's back on the line with us. Jerry, thanks for joining us again. Hope you're doing well.
3: Oh, thanks for having me.
1: Hey, can you start? And I was kind of giving our audience a little bit, uh, and, and I and I said, look, we're going to get this from a different perspective because of you and your background. Can you kind of give us a little bit of your background and how you covered the um, the Pac-12? and kind of the perspective you give it from being a guy out there on the West Coast.
3: Yeah, I've I've been all around, um, but uh, I moved out West. I moved to Seattle uh, from 2006 to 2015, and then when I got the job at the Post, we moved to the D.C. area for four years, and then since just before the pandemic, uh, we've been back in Seattle. Um, So uh, i covered a lot of... A lot of recent memory kind of end of peak carroll until now, uh Pac twelve football and um it's a conference that, you know, growing up I was in SEC country in Kentucky, um and and also, you know, a little bit of A C C country and that's where I spent most of my career. But the second half here, you know, I've been out west for the most part and I've really become fascinated with the region.
1: How fascinated had you become with the Pac-12, and how sad or disappointing is this um, to you that it, you know, its demise is now certainly imminent?
3: Yeah, it's it's depressing. I mean, um, well, one thing that, that I tried to do intentionally in my career was live in different regions. I've lived in the Northeast. I've lived in the South. Um, you know, I've I've lived uh, out west. I've lived in the Midwest. Um, and so I wanted to do that in thoughts of being a, a national sports writer and not having any, any bl- blind spots. I didn't want to have that East Coast bias or any, any region's bias. And so that's one thing I appreciate the most. And I say that because I, I love the regional flavor um, that you particularly see in college athletics of all of these conferences and college football and particularly the TV executives who run college football silently are killing that. And to think that in an entire region, um, West football is dead from the standpoint of having its own thing, a league operated for its its interest by teams out West. And, and yes, like USC, UCLA, Washington, Oregon, um, you know, so on and so forth, will all be represented in the other conferences. But for them not to have a conference that is a conglomerate of power in the West Coast, uh, that's sad, and I don't think it's in the best interest long term for the sport.
1: Jerry, why did this happen? To the Pac-12. I mean, you've detailed it over 100 years in existence, all the championships they've won, all the lore that they've had. Why was the Pac-12 not as attractive to the TV networks as the SEC and the Big 12? What what kind of what kind of happened here?
3: Yeah, I mean, the Pac-12, they call themselves the Conference of Champions because they've won 553 national titles, uh, which is the most of of any conference. Um, and uh, the you don't you don't kill you know it, it's not just like the forces of the sport or of college athletics killed the Pac-12. The Pac-12 shot itself in the foot multiple times mm-hmm. uh, before someone came in and delivered the final blow. And I, th- I think you can can go back. Uh, give me just a little bit of a history lesson. If you go back. A dozen years, the Pac, the Pac-10 at the time, wanted to create a Super Conference. They wanted Texas and Oklahoma and Texas Tech and Oklahoma State and a couple of others, um, which would have just decimated the Big 12 because they were wanted to form the Pac-16. And it looked like that was going to happen, but kind of in the final stages of negotiating that, Texas decided. You know what? ESPN's going to have us do a longhorn network, and we're good. We're going to stay in the big twelve in our own deal and that and then they kind of scrambled and um, as they expanded, they decided to add Utah, which has been great for the conference, but it's not Salt Lake City is not a big market, mm-hmm. and Colorado, which has been in terms of football, nothing for the conference. And then finally, when Deion Sanders arrives, and there's this belief that he's going to get the talent to get Colorado football uh, at least competitive, he's gone, um, and Colorado's gone. But basically, from that moment in which Larry Scott, the former commissioner, tried to form this pac 16, ever since that failed, every move that they made has been wrong. So that they, they they expand to 12 teams, and then when it was time for their last round of TV negotiations, they decide that they want to form their own network. And actually, it's like a series of networks because every little region has its own network. There's like six different ones. They call themselves the Pac-12 networks. Well, guess what? They couldn't sell that package to all of the appropriate um, satellite and cable providers. So the Pac-12 networks, um, you couldn't... I mean, you have to really strain, if you are in Richmond, um, to see the Pac-12 network. Mm -hmm. Um, It didn't have the the distribution and didn't contribute the visibility or the dollars for the conference that was promised them. And now it's time for a new round of TV negotiations. And, you know, I think USC and and UCLA had a bitter taste in their mouth about all that. Big Ten opportunity comes up about a year ago they decide to jump to the Big Ten and the Pac-12 gets a new commissioner, George Klyovkov. and he's got a lot of messes to clean up, but he didn't act quickly enough. The university presidents at ADs didn't show enough urgency. And you're just kind of waiting there. Colorado makes that first move, takes them to nine. And then they were just right for the picking and, their TV contract offer, the first offer that they gave to the remaining nine, they said, Hey, Apple TV plus is going to take us. Uh, and they're like, well, what about our linear TV deal? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, uh, are we going to be on ESPN, Fox, CBS, anything? Uh, they didn't have any clarity on that. The money wasn't right in the, in the Apple TV plus deal. And so after they realized, man, playoff and these, they really don't know what they're doing. Um, Washington and Oregon were out. And then now you see Arizona, Arizona State, um, and Utah are out as well. Mm
1: -hmm. Which leaves us. You know, with the Pac-4, as it's been called, yeah. obviously not a legit conference with Stanford, Cal, Oregon State and Washington State. And, and in our region, obviously, Richmond, Mid-Atlantic, you know, we're focused in on, you know, these conversations that apparently are having amongst ACC schools, athletic directors and presidents about Stanford and Cal and then maybe also SMU do you do you hold a lot of water in that that there is something there or is that too far-fetched even in a time in which we have been taught don't think anything is too far-fetched
3: yeah i think that's kind of silly um i i I don't see uh, maybe with some kind of partnership with the mountain west but um not all the mountain west schools would make sense um even in a revised um Pacific Coast Conference, Um, and uh, it gets really difficult when you try to match kind of the academic interests of Stanford, one of the great private institutions in the U.S., and Cal, one of the great public um, institutions, you know, so academically and in terms of if you take football out of the equation, the range of uh, just how robust both of those athletic programs are, the fact that they're in the Bay Area as well. Um, There's not a lot of conferences short of the big four, you know, the power four now. There's not a power five. um, uh, Short of those that really match the interest of of Cal and Stanford. And so if that's kind of your option, uh, particularly Stanford, I'd probably go independent. Um, So there's a lot of work to be done here, and uh, we'll we'll see where it ends up. Uh,
1: Jerry Brewer from the Washington Post joining us. uh, Some fascinating perspective from his time, obviously, out on the West Coast, Seattle covering the Pac-12 and all of that. I was just scrolling through Twitter, and obviously you take that with a grain of salt, but there's a couple of tweets out there in the last half hour that says, Notre Dame, which is an ACC member in all sports except football, is quote-unquote pushing hard for the ACC to add Stanford and Cal. Again, it's on Twitter, Jerry, you know, nothing to substantiate it at all. But any idea why Notre Dame would want something like that? Because obviously ACC followers have always wanted Notre Dame to become a full member, and it's just not happening.
3: Yeah, I wonder what Notre Dame's play there is. And then obviously, I mean, they might be doing a solid – you know, partic- I mean Stanford is one of one of their rivals mm-hmm. and uh um they are aligned in certain certain um interests. Um the ACC has had these preliminary conversations with uh Stanford and Cal. It doesn't make a lot of sense because the, 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 the team that's closest to um the Bay Area schools is Louisville, uh which is a relatively new ACC member and Louisville is still more than 2,300 miles away, everyone else is way away, and so a move like that for the ACC doesn't really move the needle in terms of finances or anything, and that's probably the issue with other schools as they're evaluating it. I think Notre Dame could be probing the ACC to see what their desire is to see if they, if they have um, basically have what it takes to play to play this game. Because uh, any conference that doesn't have that kind of heft to it is in danger, and the Notre Dame is going to have options. You know, I mean, if Notre Dame, if Notre Dame said we're going, we want to join the Big Ten tomorrow, uh, the Big Ten makes that happen, mm-hmm. and so there could be something like don't don't discount the Big Ten didn't want to go to twenty right because they didn't want Stanford and Cal. Mm-hmm. Um, could there be something afoot with Notre Dame trying to push the push the issue and play this game and say, you know what? Uh, maybe we would go to the Big Ten and form 20 teams with Stanford. Uh, but I don't know if, if Stanford would leave Cal out in the cold or not. All I know is that this feels like a mafia movie to me. <laughs> and uh, there, there is a war going on. And everyone's sleeping on mattresses, and anything can happen. Wow,
1: a uh, good endpoint for us this afternoon. That's terrific, and you can read that whole story, uh, the the column from Jerry Brewer, Washington Sports well, Washington Post Sports, uh, Washington slash sports. Beg your pardon, Jerry, Great, great perspective. I really appreciate your your West Coast perspective and the Pac-12. And I can kind of hear a little of the disappointment in your voice that you know the Pac-12 is not going to exist, maybe in any form. But certainly, what you covered for such a long time. So I really appreciate it this afternoon. Thank you.
3: All right, anytime.
1: Jerry Brewer from the Washington Post. Let me get that straight: washingtonpost.com/slash/sports. And that was his column um, from yesterday. And you can tell; I mean, he spent many years covering the Pac-12 and covering those teams and uh, understanding the regionalism and the rivalry that that will be no more because of what's happening. at just you know, I didn't didn't get to the question of. You know, you don't really believe college football sky is falling on them at all. I don't think that's the case. I think we all – well, I think a lot of us now certainly understand college football is going to survive. That's the whole point of this, not only for it to survive but for it to thrive, and it's going to. It's just going to look – a lot different and we're going to have to change our habits in our allegiances and our passions in our rivalries in how we view the games all of that is going to change and that's hard for a lot of us like jerry brewer like myself in his case the pac-12 in my case some of the east coast conferences and you just have to adapt with the changing times and i do feel for the four remaining schools and where they will wind up in all of this uh and again i'm i'm I do rule them out from the ACC perspective, but I do think the attractiveness of San Francisco and Dallas as television markets does allow the ACC to at least do a little more digging, a little more due diligence for an ACC network that has lagged behind, but is catching up that, that that it's getting better in its market penetration. It's getting better in its finances still has a long way to go. It's not getting to the SEC and the big 10 level yet, but, there is something there it has the backing of espn and you know i think that's as much this as it is smu stanford and cal in and of itself uh bottom of the hour let's get a break in here got a half hour to go on the wednesday sports huddle. and yeah i do want to um um talk about what i got kind of coming up tomorrow and i'm not sure about it and i'll explain that to you in a moment when the sports huddle continues One zero six one espn
0: The Atlanta Braves are rolling with their sights set on a sixth straight division title and their second championship in three years. Catch the action here on 106.1 ESPN Richmond, your home for the Atlanta Braves in the capital city.
1: Okay, so I've got a real dilemma here, a conundrum, as I like to use one of my favorite words, but a real dilemma about promoting tomorrow's show and staying within the guidelines of being a professional reporter. How's that for a tease, AJ? But here we go. Do we have
2: Harper on as a guest or something? Do I have who? Bryce Harper? Like what's going on?
1: (laughs) No, if I had Bryce Harper on, I'd be screaming that from the mountaintop. I know Matt would. Matt would say, oh, I'm going to jinx myself by saying Bryce Harper's coming on and then it'll come time for it to happen. and He won't come on. No, I'd be promoting that. I'd be I'd be shouting it from the mountaintops for sure. So we're going to be in studio tomorrow uh, with Sean, Sean Robertson from CBS 6, as we normally are, on a, on a Thursday afternoon. So I have a guest lined up um, at 4.30 who is in town to make an announcement tomorrow that is embargoed until 9 a.m. Embargoed in the media world, I think you get it, means you can't mention it. So can I mention the guy? That is going to be the guest now, without mentioning why he's here, or am I not allowed as, to mention
2: any of it? As someone who's been under studio embargo, you just can't say what is under embargo. You can, you I can
1: say that he's going to be here, though.
2: Yeah, and if and if people piece together whatever from that, then that's people being smart.
1: And I'll add another little uh, hook curve to it. If you can't wait until four thirty tomorrow afternoon. Same said guest is going to be on with Big Al tomorrow morning at just after nine to kind of break the announcement. You know, we're like the good old days of the afternoon newspaper. We will take a different tact in the after. That's even probably predates you, AJ. But in in this town and in many others, there was a morning paper and an afternoon paper. And the morning paper always dealt with the breaking news from overnight. And then the afternoon paper would have to find that secondary story or angle to talk about in the afternoon
2: i call it cleanup batting cleanup
1: it, it, that's true that, that that that's true it is cleanup um and it's fine I, I i don't mind it at all so so al gets the breaking in the morning and then uh, so if you can't wait till 4 30 to figure out what the heck i'm talking about tune in tomorrow morning and and you'll find out all right so you you gave me the uh, carte blanche to at least say who it is go right? on, Hoss. horse uh, <laughs> It's time for you to go back and produce a couple morning shows, I think. I do. But don't leave us in the afternoon. So our guest tomorrow is Will Driscoll, who is the executive director of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame, and he is in town tomorrow. So he is our guest. He's actually going to be in studio. I believe he's – I don't know if he's on the phone or in studio with Al in the morning because I know there's an announcement being made, but I think he's in studio uh in fact i'm just about I, positive of that.
2: i do not have a number on the sheets yeah. <laughs> that usually means they're in I'm, studio. I'm almost
1: positive he's in studio so in the morning i know he is w- with Sean and me in the afternoon so that's all i'm gonna say so you'll have to tune in he's done a great job as the executive director of virginia sports hall of fame down there at the beach he took over for another great guy in uh, eddie webb who ran the virginia sports hall of fame for years and years and years um you know, and so done a great job with it. So he's in town tomorrow. That's all I can say, and he'll be in the studio with both Al and me, and we'll reveal um, his news, whatever you want to call and it, his announcement, his news, why he's why he's here in Richmond, other than to visit Al and me, I guess. Can so. I take a guess? You can, but I can't tell you if you're right or wrong. That's true. I'm going to take uh, a shot in
2: the dark though and this- say we're giving Alan Iverson the keys to the state.
1: <laughs> he may already have them. I don't know. He, he's he's one of the great athletes. Boy, there's a top ten list for you. Greatest athletes coming from the Commonwealth of Virginia. Let's do it. Let's do it tomorrow. Uh, we've done it before. I can tell you that, but we could. We could, and we could go right to the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame website and and find out which ones have been, you know, from. From Virgin- Well, I was going to say from Virginia, from the Richmond area. But, yes, just in the com- – and here's the one that everybody argues about, A.J. You ready for this? I mean, I think 13. you're going to have Allen Iverson on the list. You're going to have Moses Malone on the list. Oh, sure. You're, you're, you're going to have Justin Verlander on the list. Fair. But th- you're going to have Arthur Ashe oh, on my the guy. list. Yes. Right? That's four right away that will be no-brainers without even looking. But here's the one that would be at the top of the list and by far and away – the number one number one I don't
2: know. ready I, oh i am because you, you're not going to tell me anyone's over ash or iverson secretariat oh, God. oh here comes the debate here it comes no because derby bill always has our back <laughs> so i will i will allow it i have oh, to look i have to I, look Go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I'm going to have to look at what the other <laughs> six would be, you know. But if he's taking the fifth slot for Derby Bill, I'll, I'll show respect.
1: He's taking the first slot for me. Secretariat's number one. Over Arthur Ashe? Who's number two, probably. Yes. Uh, there mm. you go. I'm a horse lover. And, the, we need- and what Secretariat did, it's been 50 years um, this year. Uh, yeah, Secretariat's number one athlete to come uh. from the Commonwealth of Virginia. And right in our backyard. As well, more dead ah, horses. See, this is a great. This is a great time. To- There's two topics there, right? Who's in your top ten? That's one topic in and of itself. And do you consider Secretariat not being a human athlete, but being an athlete?
2: I mean, I'm going to have to say that's fair, right? He is the Aye, most yes. impressive, most notable horse there is. Like, but number one in Virginia,
1: no. oh, on, the, on the
2: top ten, sure.
1: This is a great conversation. This would be a great conversation. And, man, you just led into something as if we had talked about it as, as part of a meeting during a commercial break. Because you said Derby Bill always has our back. Ooh, I'm, we're going to take a break, and I'm going to come back and finish with this. Right now, Derby Bill does not have Bob Black's back. I have plucked the nerve with <laughs> Derby Bill. And I'll tell you all about it. And I'm going to get into the verbal sparring of it when we come back. Is that
2: why Secretariat's over Arthur Ashe? Because you're trying to kiss up?
1: No, I'm not. I'm ready to. I'm ready to go toe to toe with him. Actually, right, I'm excited on this one. So yes, I pl- I have plucked the nerve with Derby Bill this afternoon. Uh, we'll detail that for you in our last segment of the sports huddle next on one oh six one ESPN.
0: Another college football season. And when the Richmond Spiders kick it off September 2nd, you'll hear it live on 1061 ESPN Richmond.
1: On the reverse to Jerry Garcia, and he's got wide open green turf all the way in to the blue turf end zone. Another
0: season the- of Richmond football is coming when UR opens their 2023 season at Robin Stadium versus Morgan State at 6 p.m. Don't miss any of the action on your home for spider athletics all season. 1061 ESPN Richmond. 1061 ESPN
1: all right so here we go so i bashed the baseball fans of baltimore because they had less than half a full stadium last night for a first place team that's won 70 games playing the defending world series champions boy did that pluck a nerve with derby bill our oriole fanatic uh, and he sent me a list, and I don't know how this proves his point because I, I don't think it's great. Now, the Orioles, you know, weren't great a couple of years ago. O's average attendance at Camden Yards. 2021, they averaged 10,000 fans a game. Now, that's coming off the pandemic. They were terrible. I get it. 2022, uh, 7,500 fan increased to seventeen five. That still doesn't sound all that good, Bill, and they were pretty good by the end of the year. Last year. This year they are averaging twenty three thousand and eighteen and rising, says Derby Bill. And then he admonishes me and says, Get off O's back. Well, no, Derby Bill, I am not getting off the O's back for that one. But then, to your point about me maybe kissing up to him as you said, AJ, his next DM was Secretariat number one makes up for bashing O's attendance. <laughs> So he was thinking like you were on that one. Yeah. One had nothing to do with the other. And let me just throw this at you, Bill. The, the city that I normally do bash for not being great fans is Atlanta. So I looked up Atlanta. Now, they've been great, obviously. They've won, they're have won. they going to have won six straight division titles, and they won a World Series uh, two years ago in, in 2021. And I bash them all the time as being a bad sports town. So in 2018, this, during their run, I'll even go back a year. before The, the year before their run of first-place finishes, they finished third in 2017, and they averaged 31,000 a game. They have averaged over 30,000 every year since then, ironically, with the exception of the year they won the World Series, and, of course, that was the pandemic uh, casualty year, and they averaged like 28,000 that year. So by comparison, the Orioles got some work to do here. Now, I realize the Braves have been a much better team, so I looked at uh, Washington, the team right down the road, the team that they're joined at the hip with by the controversial bad-massing agreement that they both have. The year the Nats won the World Series in 2019, they averaged 28,000 fans a game, which wasn't great, to be honest. Um, It was like 11th out of the 15 teams in the National League. Uh, but it was better than the Orioles I can tell you that and they are averaging here's where here's where I don't get it they're averaging almost the same as Baltimore this year and the nats are terrible and the orioles are great so what's going on there bill they're averaging like 22,000 a game this year and the Os are 23,000. They better have some big crowds tonight and tomorrow against the Astros, I'm telling you.
2: I'm not trying to get in trouble, but I was born in <laughs> Baltimore, so I do get a say. And summertime, Camden Yards, they're number 1, come on. You got to go.
1: I know, right? Uh, it's a, it's a great great place to go. Go to the Inner Harbor, have some crabs and some beer, go to the game. I come. always I always loved the aquarium and then going there you go. Yeah, I've done that.
2: And I wonder if the Raven, the Ravens still there, the Edgar allen bar around yeah, there. Yeah, I think it is. Oh, I, I do think it is, actually, Everything. yes. I lose but. all my staples
1: in COVID. So I'm not backing down. I'm not backing off of this one. Orioles got to do better, crowd-wise. You know, and I'll brag on my team, which I've been doing a lot of lately, and, and the whole thing of last weekend where they, they seem to have pulled Trey Turner out of a season-long slump. So much so I don't get this one tonight. By the way, I wasn't even bring this up, but he's leading off and DHing tonight uh, against the the Nationals. Uh, I don't, I'm not quite sure I understand Rob Thompson's lineup tonight, but I guess he's giving Turner a day off from playing the field. I, I don't know. Boy, you, your uh, Phillies DH all the time. They do. They their star players are their DHs. Whether it's Harper, Schwarber, uh, this is I got to believe it's first time Turner has DHed so. Uh, I don't. I don't really know what they're doing. That's not lineup.
2: National League baseball.
1: It's not. You are a hundred percent right about. Don't get me started on that. Yeah, that'd be one reason I wouldn't watch. But that, so I've, I've just adapted with the times, just like college football fans will adapt with the new look to the conferences. Anyway, the Phillies, with the exception of the post-pandemic year when they averaged only nineteen thousand, uh, they finished fourth. In twenty nineteen with a five hundred record and they averaged thirty-four thousand fans a game, which was sixth in the National League. This year they are averaging thirty-nine thousand a game, and that's fifth in the National League right now. So that's a baseball town, Bill. Now come on, I do think Baltimore is a baseball town, but they gotta pick it up at the gate and get to the ballpark. I love the idea that Baltimore is in the mix, Cincinnati's in the mix, Chicago is in the mix. Get out and support those teams. There's going to be some great baseball the rest of the way. All right, that was a little bit of fun. Thank you, Bill. I like I like what he does. See, so the other problem with Bill is everything that he sends is like in capital letters. So this was in caps too, and I thought he was like yelling at me. And then I'm like, well, he always does that. So what what's the difference? That's hilarious. But that's about as strong as he's ever been to me. Get off O's back. But then
2: it's, it, it's been a rough week for him. It has for for O's fans. I mean, you
1: know. Well, anyway. Oh, that. See, now he's digging even deeper. The current metro population of D.C. is 5.5 million. The metro <laughs> area of Baltimore is 2.3 million.
2: I should have known the facts. We're yeah, talking. no kid. Give me a
1: give me a break on that. Come on, get to the ballpark. That's all I'm. saying. Let's all call I'm in
2: on <laughs> off the races and just continue the debate. Yes,
1: yes. But he likes me because I picked Secretary at number one for athlete in the Commonwealth of Virginia. You're thinking a lot about that, too, aren't you? We're going to have to follow up on that topic. It's hard to argue. There's so many, but there are so many other names that you and I were just throwing around during the commercial break. Uh, We'll come back to that uh, one of these days for sure. All right, that's it for us today. I had some fun with it. Thank you, AJ, over there on the other side of the glass. Um, Thanks to Jerry Brewer from the Washington Post. Great perspective on the demise of the Pac-12 and conference realignment who joined us in the 5 o'clock hour. We will do it all over again tomorrow. Again, be listening on Sports Ball with Big Al tomorrow. You will find out why Will Driscoll, Executive Director of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame, is in town and in studio with Al, and he'll be in studio with Sean and me tomorrow afternoon at 4.30 as well. That and much more coming up tomorrow. Keep it locked in here. Braves baseball is on the way, and I'll talk to you tomorrow at 4 with Sean Robertson from CBS 6 on the next Sports Hub 1061 ESP. and Moss at 9520 West Brunswick